Well, thank you very much indeed to the worship group for leading us in that time of worship. And following the singing company who sang uh, Jesus Be the Centre, that, that song we've just sung together is, is also all about Jesus. It's all about him. And that's what we, we feel here at uh, our church on Oxford Street, that we want Jesus to be the centre. It's all about him. It's not about us. Uh, a bit like John the Baptist, you know, we don't want to get in the way. It's all about Jesus. So, what a wonderful way to come into God's Word this morning, but to put Jesus in the centre of it all. And even though we're in the Old Testament for our thinking this morning, it's still all about Jesus. All the signposts are to Jesus. All the prophets foretold the time when there will be a Messiah who will come to bring salvation, and that on the cross our sins will be taken away, and that we can enjoy salvation. It's all about him, even in the Old Testament. We're actually currently in a series based on the 12 minor prophets of the Old Testament, the, in fact, the, 12, the final 12 books of the Old Testament. And I've um, suggested that uh, perhaps for many of us, the, the minor prophets are probably the cleanest pages of our Bibles, we very seldom go there. We get through the major prophets and then, you know, perhaps we see them as stocking fillers and rather flick onto the Gospels and get into the New Testament. It's a, it's a shame because I think that we've probably realised during this series, if not before, that um, there's some major things happening in these minor prophets. And it's only because perhaps of this collective title, Minor Prophets, that we often skip them, thinking they are minor in terms of being of little importance to us. It was actually the African theologian Augustine of Hippo in about AD 425 who gave these 12 books the name Minor Prophets. But he didn't give that name because he felt they were inferior, but simply because they were shorter than the major prophets of the likes of Isaiah or Jeremiah. And in truth, I hope that uh, during this, se- this series we have seen some really major issues, major themes that have come through these minor prophets. And you know, Jesus quoted from them. Uh, many New Testament writers also quoted from the minor prophets. And these ancient texts continue to speak to our hearts and minds today. And I know some people have said, you know, we need to make sure that our preaching and our ministry is relevant and is up to date. But even as we look at these texts, which are, what, some two and a half thousand years old, they are bang up to date in terms of the major messages for our day. Why? Because they're speaking to a nation which is full of politics. They're speaking to a nation which is spiritually going downhill. They are speaking to a nation which is full of what they can get rather than what they are in Christ. Do you recognize such a nation as that? Yes, it's a nation which we live in today as well. And I'd like to suggest to you that these ancient texts of the Minor Prophets are of major importance to us in these days. Now this morning we're going to be considering our eighth minor prophet in this series, the minor prophet of Habakkuk who, as we will see, uh, couldn't make sense out of anything. Couldn't make sense out of the world he was living in. Couldn't make sense out of the the people who were living around him. And more than anything else, couldn't make sense of God. And this is a prophecy which 
which is based upon a prophet who really himself is in need of help. Uh, We know nothing about Habakkuk except that he was a prophet. We're told in the opening verse that he was a prophet. It was probably his full-time job to be a prophet. And the message that he gave was for the southern kingdom of Judah. He probably was speaking this prophet from the capital city of Judah, which, of course, is Jerusalem. That's probably where he lived, probably where this prophecy was delivered. The book of Habakkuk, however, is very unique to the other minor prophets that we've looked at so far. Because this prophecy is not directed to the people. What we are reading is actually a dialogue between Habakkuk and God. What happens is Habakkuk twice questions God uh, as queries, as even complaints to God. And twice God answers those queries and complaints. And finally it ends up with Habakkuk giving a prayer and finally a praise to his God. So Habakkuk begins by complaining to God because he feels that his prayers are going unanswered. And because God is allowing wrongdoing to happen everywhere he looks. And Habakkuk is tired as a prophet, as God's man. He wants God to do something about it. So he complains to God. Let me give you a sample of his complaints. Here we are at the beginning of the book. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? These are the kind of complaints that Habakkuk was making to God. Why God? Why God? God, why are you allowing all this to happen before your very eyes and before mine, my eyes? I mean, you can sympathize with Habakkuk, can't you? Have you never thought why God allows wrongdoing and injustice to happen? Have you ever wondered why bad people seem to get away with murder? Have you even wondered why bad things happen to good people? A few centuries earlier than Habakkuk, King Solomon had the same dilemma when he said, there is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. You can see the dilemma. Habakkuk had that dilemma and to be honest, we do as well. It just doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense to Habakkuk. It didn't make sense to King Solomon. And quite frankly, it doesn't make sense to us sometimes why it appears that God just sits on his hands when there's all sorts of wrongdoing and injustice going on in our world. And then there is something else that doesn't make sense to Habakkuk. In verse 6 we read God's response when he tells the prophet that he's raising up the Chaldeans, or in other words the Babylonians. God says, look, don't worry about it, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians and they're going to be an answer to the problem. Well, Habakkuk has got a big problem with that, mainly because the Babylonians are baddies themselves. They are, they are a pagan society. They are a godless nation. And Habakkuk is at his wit's end wondering why God would choose a, a, a pagan nation to do his will. Why would God do that? And Habakkuk is really at the point where his faith is really tested. And yet, Habakkuk remains committed to God as his prophet, and continues to make himself available to God. But then suddenly, out of the blue, God gives Habakkuk a glorious message and an eternal truth 
And this forms our first major point from our minor prophet this morning. And we read it in verse 5. Watch, says God, and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe it, even if I told you. It's a great verse, isn't it? Watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something, Habakkuk, in your days, that even if I told you, you just wouldn't believe it. Habakkuk learns a major truth that we too need to remember, and that is this. That God's silence doesn't mean that God is inactive. Just now you may be praying for something in your own life. Maybe you're praying for your job. Maybe you're praying for your health. Maybe for a family member or maybe for a friend or maybe possibly for your church. You may even be wondering why God doesn't appear to be responding to your prayers. Maybe what is happening around you doesn't seem logical at all. And you're almost crying out to God in despair. But maybe you need to understand this truth. That God is working. As we're sometimes seeing, standing somewhere in the shadows, you will find him. God is working, maybe in the background. But God is working. And what eventually may unfold may be beyond your wildest dreams. Maybe it is something that even if God told you, you would never believe it. The Apostle Paul encourages to come to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. That's our God. He can do immeasurably more beyond our wildest dreams, beyond anything that we would imagine. I don't think we'd even believe half the things God would tell us if he did decide to reveal his will to us from time to time. And there's something else to note in this major point, which I think is quite remarkable. If there's one point of this verse you can see on the screen that I'd like to underscore this morning, it is this. God says to Abacuc, I'm going to do something in your days. I am going to do something in your days. The thing about prophecy is we tend to think, well, it's something in the future. It's going to happen one day. Sometimes we pray like that in church. Dear God, will you one day bring us more people? Lord, one day, will you bring us more children into our children's work? Lord, one day, will you give us more? Give us, do, do this for us. And we take, keep thinking about those days. And those of you who perhaps been in this church for many years probably hear the same prayers over and over again. The same dreams, the same visions. And people say, you know, one day it will happen. And another officer comes onto this platform and says, one day this will happen. God says to Habakkuk, I'm going to do it in your days. Isn't that remarkable? Habakkuk, don't worry, don't fret, don't complain. I'm going to do something that's beyond your wildest imagination. It's, it's, it's beyond anything that you could think about. And you know something else? It's going to be done in your days. I don't know about you, but it encourages me to, to pray more. And to pray big prayers to God. And to believe that those things can happen in my day. I, I just have this feeling that God wants to do amazing things through us. Through you, each one of you. Don't look at each other. Through you and me. God wants to do amazing things. God wants me to do amazing things through your church, whether you worship here or wherever you worship. God has got great plans. He is able to do abundantly more than all that we ask or imagine. 
And maybe we keep having our meetings and we're drawing up our plans and drawing up our, report, our reports and we, we keep making our prayers that, Lord, one day you'll make these things come to pass. And maybe God wants to say to us this morning, I want to do it in your day. I want to do it in your generation. In these days, Lord, will you do immeasurably more than all we ask or think? Wouldn't that be a big prayer for each one of us to make this morning? Can you imagine how, how powerful that would be? If each one of us this morning prayed to God, God, do immeasurably more than all that I'm even able to ask. Do immeasurably more than anything I'm able to think about. Just do your will. Do your purposes here on earth. I'm just your servant. Lord, just do your work. Even despite me and despite my limitations. And do it, Lord, here and now. But until then, we may need to take on board uh, my second major point from this minor prophet this morning. You need to keep on trusting God even when you don't understand him. And you need to keep on trusting God even whilst you're waiting for those prayers to be answered. Remember what God revealed to Isaiah? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. You know, we don't have the infinite mind of God. We don't have God's heart and mind within us. His thoughts are sometimes not our thoughts. His ways are sometimes not our ways. We don't always look through the same lens as God. But just because we don't understand, just because Habakkuk didn't understand, doesn't mean God is not at work. God was at work in Habakkuk. We know now, looking back through history, we can see God was working behind the scenes. We see that one day the Babylonians did answer Habakkuk's prayer. But we don't have the infinite mind that God has. Just because God doesn't respond even now, and even as we want him to, doesn't equate that God has forgotten us. Like Habakkuk, even though we question, even though we don't understand, we need to keep on trusting, we need to keep on believing that God will move, even if it is moving in mysterious ways that we cannot understand, that we cannot fathom. Maybe along with a songwriter, we may say, many are the things I cannot understand. All above me, mystery I see, but the gift most wonderful from God's own hand, surely, is his gift of grace to me. Higher than the stars that reach eternity. Broader than the boundaries of endless space. Is the boundless love of God that pardoned me. Oh, the wonder of his grace. We need to trust in that. We need to believe in that. We need to hold on to that. Even whilst we're waiting for our prayers to be answered. We may not understand God's words. And it may be someone here this morning is, is really struggling with God. Things are happening or things are not happening. And you're saying to yourself, no, I'm a Christian. I've given my heart to God. I serve God. I give all this time to God. I, I, I've given him my life, my heart. And these things are happening or these things are not happening. And I can't understand it. Maybe this message is for you uh, this morning. Maybe to have more faith, more trust that God is working, even if it is behind the scenes just at the moment. As far as faith is concerned, someone put, once put it like this. Faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. It's a great way to put it into it, the definition of faith. Faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. 
This is the faith of the Christian believer. I suppose that's why we call it the Christian faith. It's all about our faith in God, even when we don't understand, even when things are illogical. That even though we, not all can be seen and all that is revealed to us, nevertheless, we can have this kind of faith, faith for even greater things. We don't just praise God for all that is past, but we also trust him for all that's to come. Which leads me on to our third major point in our minor prophet this morning, and it's found in the next chapter, chapter 2 and verse 4, when God answers Habakkuk's second complaint. And, and in this verse, I want to give you some amazing, amazing information. Now, the verse I'm about to put up on the screen um, is, is a, the, an, a, the most amazing verse in Habakkuk's day. It was the most amazing verse in the days of the New Testament. Would you believe this verse is quoted three times in the New Testament? And it became the greatest verse in the 16th century AD as well. And that is this. The righteous shall live by his faith. Or as some translations put it, the just shall live by faith. It's such a an incredible text to find in the midst of Habakkuk's confusion and Habakkuk's complaints, complaints that, that, as I said, the New Testament writers uh, took it. We read in Romans chapter 1 verse 17, Galatians chapter 3 11, and in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38. This verse appearing those three times as well. It was an important statement in the Old Testament important statement during the New Testament and it became a catalyst for renewal and revival in the spiritual depression of Europe in the 16th century AD. You'll have heard, I'm sure, of a German monk by the name of Martin Luther and he struggled with uh, such rituals as paying money for indulgences which were practiced by the Roman Catholic Church of the day uh, by which you can pay to have your sins forgiven. When indulgences were used to raise money to build St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome, Luther rebelled, and this statement became a gate to his conversion, which in turn triggered the Protestant Reformation, which of course took place in 1517. Uh, This year we we celebrate the 500th anniversary of uh, the Reformation, uh, actually in October of this year. And this text became the catalyst for it all, that the just shall live by faith. You don't pay to have your sins uh, uh, forgiven. You, you, you don't work for your salvation, but you live by faith. And the righteous and the just need to live by faith. And you know, in an active movement like the Salvation Army, we need to remind ourselves too that we don't get our reward in heaven by the service that we give, by the amount of hours that we give, by the amount of service that we give in this, in this movement, in the Salvation Army. That actually, we are justified that we are saved by faith. It's because of our faith in God that we have our salvation. It's because of our faith in God we are justified It's justified, never sinned. That's how God treats us. It's justified, never sinned. And that only happens not because of what we do or because of anything we pay, but because of our faith 
in God. And we perhaps need to hear that text for us this morning too. It's not about what we do for the good Lord, but it's what we are in Christ that's important. And this point leads us nicely on to another verse and another major point in Habakkuk, which has become quite well known, not least because of the song we sung early in the meeting. All over the world, the Spirit is moving. All over the world, as the prophet said it would be. And we sung that song for years, probably not never knowing which prophet it was. Well, it was the prophet Habakkuk who said this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. What a great text that is in the middle of Habakkuk. That the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just as the waters cover the sea. Sin can spread and become rampant as it was in Judea, in Judah rather, in Habakkuk's time. But God's glory too can spread just as the waters cover the sea. About two um, weeks ago now, I was floating in the Dead Sea. Can you misimagine it? I wasn't reading a newspaper, but I was floating in the Dead Sea. It's the lowest point on the face of the earth. And the Dead Sea, of course, is called the Dead Sea because it is dead. Virtually nothing lives there. It is, it is ten times saltier than any other sea or ocean. Do you know, just 65 miles north of the Dead Sea is the Sea of Galilee. It's fresh water, so fresh, even today it's teeming with fish. And of course we know about the Galilean fishermen of the New Testament. But as the water runs down the Jordan River, it is fed by tributaries that are very, very salty and full of chemicals. So by the time that water reaches the Dead Sea, it is so salty, so full of chemicals, that it is completely dead. That water has been infiltrated, that, that fresh water of Galilee has been infiltrated by so much salt and chemicals that it's good for nothing. You know, that's what sin does. Sin does that. It gets into every pore of our soul if we're not careful. It gets into every part of our lives if we're not careful. But God gives Habakkuk this great vision that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Because, you know, his grace can infiltrate our lives as well. His love and his forgiveness can also enter into our life and ultimately cover and wash us over and wash away the sin and the impurities so that we can be washed in him. And so to our final point, as time is going this morning, and the final point of this, the final major point of uh, Habakkuk this morning is, is this. That following this dialogue that took place between Habakkuk and God, the prophet prays and speaks of the everlasting ways of God. Habakkuk trusts uh, God. Habakkuk's trust in God is restored and his faith is renewed in God. And he believes that God is going to be as good as his word and that Judah will be judged for its sins. And in time, Babylon was raised up and uh, the Jews were exiled in Babylonia for 70 years under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar and so on. But God eventually, after those seven years, was to restore God's people. They came back and rebuilt Jerusalem, rebuilt the walls, rebuilt Solomon's temple. And God would, of course, eventually send his only begotten son who would one day come and preach in that newly rebuilt temple. God finally fulfilled his promises. And so Habakkuk 
is able to conclude his prophecy with a hymn of praise, knowing that it's all in God's hands. And he rejoices in the land, in the Lord, even though he can't see it yet, even though everything looks barren, even though everything looks hopeless, Habakkuk is able to pray to the Lord and able to praise the Lord. And the prophet says that even though the land is barren, even though there's little to cheer about, even though everything seems pretty desolate and dire just now, he is going to trust in the Lord and rejoice in the Lord who is his strength. And here is this hymn of joy which concludes the book of Habakkuk. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep, in the pen, and there's no cattle in the stall, stalls, yet, what a big yet that is, yet, despite all that, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in God my Saviour. As we've seen before through these prophets, they're, they're not without hope. Uh, you don't sometimes read these prophets because they're full of doom and gloom and it's full of confusion and chaos, but within it all is hope. And here's the big hope of the book of Habakkuk, that even though everything else seems fruitless, even though everything else seems to be barren, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior because he is working in the background. He He is working to fulfill his promises and I am not laboring in vain. It's why Paul can write to the Christians at Philippi, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Despite all Paul's issues and problems and all his persecutions, Paul was able to still rejoice in the Lord, even from inside a prison. You know, friends, life may not make, may not make much sense for you this morning. You may be going through all sorts of trials and tribulations I or anyone else here maybe knows nothing about. God may seem to be ignoring your prayers just now. All around you may seem to be working against you. But I want to encourage you this morning to rejoice in the Lord, to trust in him, to have faith in him, to allow the joy in the Lord to be your strength and so that God can be your saviour and friend too. Amen. Amen.